We're on week two of a series that we started last week. We're going through the book of Haggai. And so the book of Haggai, it's a, it's a, it's a unique book. It's a short, short book. It's two, two chapters. Um, the prophet Haggai wrote the book. And so I want to kind of give you the backstory so that you can understand the main story. And, and last week, you, we really dove into the backstory of the book of Haggai. And, and why is it so important? Well, you know, what is it? It's, a, it's, a, it's called Haggai the prophet is known as a minor prophet because he just had a shorter book. The major prophets had a little more to say, and so their books were a little longer. And we talked about how the book of Haggai is a post-exilic book. And so that basically means that the people of God were invaded around 650 B.C. or so by the Babylonians. And so they, were, they came in, you know, very slowly, but over four years, they took over Judah, they took over Jerusalem. This is where the people of God lived, the Israelites lived, and they took everyone captive. And so they were in exile for decades. And then, and then they were allowed by a king to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple that the Babylonians had burned down. So imagine that. Your home, you're living at home, the place that you know as home was taken from you. You were kidnapped out of your own home and land, and then everything that was in your country was destroyed. And for decades, that's how they lived in exile. And so they were allowed to go back, and, and, and Zerubbabel was the king, and he allowed them to rebuild the temple. And they go back, and they start building, and then they just stop. They lay the foundation of the temple, and then they just stop building. And we, we read about this last week, but in the first chapter of Haggai, God talks about how they were, they were putting um, you know, these, these nice wooden panels in their home, but the church was, was falling apart. And we, and we learned that the, the, the wood paneling was supposed to be used for the church, and they used it for their own houses. And so we talked a little bit about priorities last week. But I want to pick up again, I'm just, we're going to pick up right where we left off in Haggai chapter 1. And so now that you have the backstory, again, and to give you the length of time, they laid the foundation and then they stopped building for 15 years. And that's where the prophet Haggai was sent by God to, to stir him up. Haggai is in his 70s. And so he shows up with a message from God, four, four prophecies, four prophetic words that he gives the people of God. We looked at the first one last week, and I want us to look at the second one here in chapter, um, chapter 1 of Haggai, verse 13. And then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, he gave this message of the Lord to the people. I am with you, declares the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Shelatiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of, of all the people. So God begins to stir the people up. They came and began to work on the house of the Lord Almighty, their God. And Haggai gives the date. And so Haggai shows up last week. We read those seven verses. He says, hey, your, your, your priorities are wrong. Yeah, I mean, he, he, he says, you know, you've got plenty to eat, you've got plenty of, you've got really big houses, and you've got all this stuff, but you're not satisfied. And so he connects that with their, their priorities were a little wrong. They were focusing on the wrong things. And, and so the book of Haggai, I think if we could kind of have a subtitle to this, this series, would be the right things at the right time for the right reasons. Because there's a lot of things that are, that are pulling for our time and attention. A lot of things. And we know now the most valuable resource we have is not money and stuff. 
The most valuable resource we have is time. It's the only resource that we can't get more of. We can go get more money. You can go and get more stuff. But time is allocated. And so Haggai shows up, and, and, and it's, it's, this book is, is not really more of a correctional book as it is a book of encouragement to the people of God to, to refocus on what God had called them to do. And so he stirred the people up. And so that second prophecy we see here is Haggai. He's encouraging the people. He's, he's stirring them up. And, and I'm finding my, I found in my life a lot of times whatever God calls you to do, he may not write it on a chalkboard. He may not write it on the wall, right? We may not get the, the writing on the wall like some people get. We may not get a, a vision. We may not have an angel show up and announce to us what we're supposed to do. Sometimes it's just a stirring Sometimes it's just a stirring, and I, I, I like that, 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 that Haggai put that in there, that he, he brought forth this prophecy, but God did the stirring, and God began to stir the people. And, and, and I want to ask you, is there anything in your heart, anything in your soul that God is stirring? Is there anything in your heart? Because a lot of times it, it, it may just be this subtle little stir, this, this drawing to something, this, 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 you know, this passion that's there, and you don't know how it got there. And, and so that's what God begins to do in those people. He, he begins to stir them up. And here's the reason why, y'all. This is crazy. I didn't, know, I didn't really know this. I haven't studied the book of Haggai extensively. But the book of Ezra expounds on the book of Haggai. And do you know they got one month in the building? Haggai shows up. He stirs them all up. He fires them all up. They, they, they start building again, and they build for a month, and then they quit again. <laughs> so they started building, you know, 550 B.C. or so. They, they lay the foundation. They stop for 15 years. God sends Haggai to, to get them back on track, and they do good for a month, and then they stop. And I thought about that, and I thought about the, you know, New Year's resolutions. <laughs> Come on, right? I'm an incredible starter, you know what I'm saying? I mean, I mean you know, and, and we, we, we start really well, right? Like, I'm going to go to the gym every day for three days, right? Right now, you drive by a gym parking lot for the, the month of January, it's packed. February, crickets. No, there's cats living in there's no. I mean, it's just a, it's a ghost town. Nobody there because we start off really strong, just like these, they started, they, I mean, Haggai came, got them back on track, they began building, and the book of Ezra says that there was a festival going on at the time. And so there was people from outside of the country that were there, and they had began building, and I want you to see what, why, how, you know, what caused them to stop. The first time, we you know, there was a hidden enemy, right? Last week we talked about that. There were people that were suing them. They went to the king, had a letter of, of, from a lawyer saying, you need to stop these people from building the house of God. They're going to they're gonna build this nation up, and then they're going to come and take over yours. And so there was this hidden enemy fighting against them. But this time, the enemy was within. <laughs> and I think, you know, for me personally, when I set goals or if I, if I set a New Year's resolution, one of the, the quickest ways to get discouraged, this is just me personally, is to look at what somebody else is doing. It's like horse races. Y'all y'all like you're in horse races, you know? They they wear these blinders. You know why they put blinders on the horse? Cuz they tend to look over at the horse next to them. And they get distracted and they can't run the race that's in front of them because they're too busy looking side to side. 
And so the people of God began building, and then they quit, and I want you to see why. Chapter 2, I'm just going to read verse 3. Who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? So I want you to catch this, what they're doing. They stopped building because they had this festival and all these people showed up that seen the temple of Solomon 70, 80, you know, 60 years ago. And they started comparing their start to Solomon's finish. And they began talking about the glory of the old temple and how much more beautiful it was and how much more gold it had in it and how much better the altar looked and how much prettier it was and how much more resources went into it. And so they began comparing the start that God gave them to the finish of the people that went before them. And I don't know about you, but that's a real struggle for me sometimes. It's a real struggle. And I love hearing people's stories. And I love hearing about moves of God that have happened in the past. But I think sometimes we can get so stuck in the past or we compare what God did 20, 30, 40 years ago to what God's doing now. And it will cause us to get discouraged. And, and really the message I want to bring to you this morning is, is the, the comparison trap. What happens when we begin to compare what God has called us to do with what somebody else is doing? Or make it simple. What happens when we compare our art project to the other kids' projects in our class, right? When we show it to mom, mom thinks it's the best, but we know it's not. You know what I mean? Like, like this con what has happened in the last 20 years, I think, with social media is pretty incredible. But this comparison that's beginning to happen. Now, imagine, you know, when I grew up, I, I grew up in Milton, right? And, and when I was coming up, middle school, high school, I had a pager in middle school, okay? That's how old I am, right? That's how, I mean, I, I had a pager. I'd go to the skating rink with my clear pager. I had a little chain. I'd tell my mom, I'd be like, Mom, I want you to page me around 9 o'clock because I want everybody to think somebody's paging me. You know, you know what I'm saying? I'd, and I'd, I'd get that pager. But, and then I got into high school. I had a block phone that was good for calling people and playing snake. That was it. You might get a text message through if it's after 9, if you don't want to pay for it. You know what I'm saying? Like after 9, everything was free. But, but, but we, we didn't have this that we have now. Where when I was coming up, the only thing I had to compare myself to were the people in my neighborhood. You know what I'm saying? A little small town in Milton. I mean, this is a relatively small town still. And so you were probably good at something compared to the other people in your neighborhood, right? Like there was something that you were, you were decent at compared to the, I mean, a couple hundred people that were in my high school or, the, you know, a few hundred people that's in your middle school. But now doesn't matter how good you are or how successful you may be at what you do there's somebody on social media or out in the, uh, the world of seven billion people who can make you look like you're incompetent and a failure right that if we get on social and I know that that's not what it's meant for but I find myself getting on there a lot and scrolling and it just it's just what I begin to do it's like there's there's this comparison that begins to happen and I like the way that Andy Stanley put it. He, he did a series on comparison. And he said that there's, there's no win in comparison. Ever. That when we begin to compare our lives to someone else's life, or our 
neighborhood to somebody else's neighborhood or what God has given us or me to compare to what God has given other people. I, I borrowed this from Manly Stanley, but he said that, that a lot of people are living in the land of Ur. You know what the land of Ur looks like? The, the, the people in the book of Haggai, they stopped building because they started living in the land of Ur. And that's when you look around and everybody's richer and they're taller and they're, and they're right, they're, they're, they're hipper. They're, they're, they're more married-er if you're not married, right? Uh, um, they just, they, they're, they're, they're happier, uh, you know, and, and so we, we can get in this comparison trap where we just look around and we compare how we're doing based on how everybody else is doing. And it causes discouragement. I, I don't know if anything good comes out of it. I'm thankful that I can see what my friends eat during the week on social media, right? And, and I'm thankful that I can see pictures of people's puppies and kids. And, you know, I, I, I'm guilty. You, you, you seen what I cooked last night, right? I mean, you, I, I'm thankful for that part of social media. But there's more happening. I just want to be, I'll be real honest with you. I mean, I know when I begin comparing how I'm doing compared to how other people in my field are doing, I get really discouraged. Like Monday mornings, Mondays are typically like I'm in the dumps on Mondays. Because I'll, I'll get in my head Sunday afternoon and I'll start saying, why did, you know, why did you say that? I'll go back and watch the message like, man, you really can't put a sentence together very well. Or, you know, you used the wrong word there. Or, you know, you, you, and, I, and I mean, I'll just start. And then what's even worse is if I get on and look at other churches. I mean, they were fuller. Their people, they had more people. I'm just be honest with you. The preacher is way better. <laughs> and, and so why are you telling me this? Well, because I want us to all get depressed together this morning. You know what I'm saying? That's... But nothing, and I know this, nothing good comes out of comparison. What begins to happen is we shortchange what God has placed in our own life. And I want to read this quote from, from Craig Rochelle. He said it like this. The fastest way to kill something special is to compare it to something else. Once you compare yourself, your family, your children, your car, your job, your dog, whatever, to someone else, you either deem it or yourself superior or, or inferior, and neither which is pleasing to God. And so the people in the book of Haggai, God's people began building and then they started comparing their work to what was before them and they just quit. And that's, you know, I, I can, I, when we read about revivals in the past, we read about things that, you know, what God has done in the last hundred years on the planet, it's encouraging. And then when you read about what's happening today, it does seem a lot different. <laughs> and it would be easy to get really discouraged it would be really easy to say, okay, well, maybe, maybe the church's climax was 100 years ago. You know, the Welsh revivals or the revivals. And I, there's all these incredible moves of God over the last 100, 500,000 years. And right now it seems like, well, things are different. And so the real question we have to ask ourselves is, is how do you, how do we measure our progress? How do you measure your progress? You set some New Year's resolutions, 
or you want to do good at what you do, like whatever career you're in, or you're in school, how do you measure how you're doing? And I think most people, if we were honest with that, we measure it based on how our neighbors are doing. Or we measure it based on how the people in our circle are doing, or our community, or our network is doing. But I love what Jordan Peterson, I want to give you his version of it, and then I want you to, then I want to unpack it in scripture. But rule number four and 12 rules for life, one of these rules I think that he gives us is so powerful, is he says, don't compare yourself to who someone is today. Compare yourself to who you were yesterday. And so that's where the people of God got discouraged, y'all. They started comparing their beginning with someone else's ending. They started comparing the, the beginning of this, building this sanctuary to God. And, and they got discouraged by looking back at what used to be. And I know it's really hard, it's really hard to get on social media and to see what's going on in the world and see what other, the other five billion people are doing, especially if it's in your field or it's somebody you may be running against or with and not compare and measure your success based on how they're doing or how somebody else is doing. And so I think it's the way Paul said it is we're all in a race, right? We're running this race but I don't think he meant that we're, we're competing against other people. When he talked about we're running this race and he talked about finishing his course, he talked about competing against himself. He talked about how he was running in this race and he was, he was competing against that old man, right? That old person he used to be. And I think where God wants us is that we're so busy doing what he's called us to do that we don't have a whole lot of time to do this. And see what other people are doing in an in a, in a, in a envious way. And the scripture is really clear about this. I mean, one of the quickest ways to short circuit what God is doing in our lives or in, in your life personally is to start comparing it. Ecclesiastes says it like this, 4 verse 4. Then I observed the most, most people are motivated to success because they envy their neighbors. But this, too, is meaningless. He said it's like chasing the wind. Basically, he's saying, I see a bunch of ambitious, rich, motivated people, and they're ambitious and rich and motivated because they're trying to beat somebody next to them. And when we live that way, what begins to happen is when we finally beat them, it's like the dog that chased the mailman his whole life. You ever heard that story? The dog chased the mailman his whole life, and he finally caught him, and he didn't know what to do. It was like it just wasn't all the, it wasn't satisfying like the dog thought it was going to be. You know, he, he, he was, you know, what do I do now? And it's kind of this keeping up with the Joneses. And I know that y'all don't, y'all probably don't feel any of this. This is probably just, so, so if this is not, you know, if this, you don't see this in your neighborhood or network, just, just salt this down. And so Ecclesiastes, he goes on to say, what happens when we compare, when we compete when we should be complimenting the people in our neighborhood. This is what happens. It says, no matter how, how good or how accomplished, we, we fold our idle hands and it leads us to ruin. That's powerful. And so how am I doing? How do I measure the progress that, that God is bringing in my life? How, how do I measure how well I'm doing at what God's called me to do? Because it's easy to feel like a failure sometimes. It's easy to get discouraged. 
And so I want to give you just a few things I, I believe that, that, that will help us. And I want to read the rest of this verse. And so Haggai, this encouraging prophet, he steps up again to encourage the people of God. Again, I think that this book is, is, is a book of encouragement. He brings correction. He shows them where their priorities are out of whack. But this book is full of encouragement. And so verse 4, chapter 2 of Haggai. They quit. They got discouraged. They started comparing their work. This is what God said to them through Haggai. He said, be strong, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, Joshua, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. And work, for I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. And this is what I've covenanted with you. When you came out of Egypt, and my spirit remains among you, so do not fear. Okay, a couple verses. Now, what, what, is, what is God doing here? I think the first thing is, is, is when, when God repeats himself, it's probably good to look at what he's saying. And so he starts with the king, and then he, starts with, and then he tells the high priest, and then, he still, and then he tells everybody the same thing. Be strong. Three times. Be strong. Be strong. Now, what, is, what, is, what does that mean? I didn't know. I had to look it up. <laughs> You know, be strong. Does that mean, do we need to just channel some inner strength? Are we just being weak? Are we letting discouragement and comparison rob us of what God has called us to do? But when I looked up that word strong, it actually means to put on strength from an external source. It's like putting on a coat. So when he says be strong, he's saying, I want you to put on my strength. That's something that you may not have in yourself right now. It's putting on the, the, the strength of God, right? It's putting on the strength of the Lord. It's, it's, and we do that by, I believe, that last little bit of that verse. He starts it and ends it with the same thought. I am with you, and I am with you. And he's letting us, he's reminding us that whatever it is that you do, whatever it is that we do Monday through Friday, that we're not doing it alone. And, and I think when we know we're partnered with God and that God is in it with us, and that God is so, is so involved in our work and that it's unique, that that one concept right there will keep us from comparing it to other people. Because the work that you do, regardless of what it is, is unique. Regardless of what it is. If you're a teacher, not all teachers are the same. Can I get an amen? Right? If you're a coach, not all coaches are the same. If you are a plumber, not all plumbers are the same. Right? If you're in construction, not all construction is the same. And what happens is if we compare our work to other people's work, nine times out of ten, it's gonna get, we're going to feel discouraged. We're going to feel, we're going to see where we measure, where we don't measure up or where we fall short. And I think what Haggai is trying to do is he's saying, don't, don't look at what other people are doing. I want you to focus on the work I've called you to do. He says, I want you to be strong. And he says, I want you to be strong in work. I want you to be strong in work. He says, I don't want you to be strong and keep comparing the last temple to this temple. I don't want you to do that. I don't, want you to, I don't want you to see where you are in line with other people that are in your network or in your world. He's like, no, I want you to focus on what I have placed in your life. So three things I want to give you very quick, and then we're going to pray. The first thing, how do we, what is the cure to comparison when I feel this draw to compare my life or what I have or the people in my life to what other people have? I think the first thing that we can do is this. Rehearse, rehearse what God has given you. Rehearse it. 
What does rehearse mean? It's like a band. You ever been in a band? Anybody in a band? The band gets better the more they rehearse. And I think one other way to say it is just get good at gratitude. Rehearse what God has given you every day. I know sometimes that we hear this a lot, but I think it's good to be reminded every now and then that gratitude is a lifter, y'all. Comparison, it just drives us down. Comparison, I think but when we're grateful, what begins to happen is when we appreciate the things we have in our life, the things we have in our life appreciates. We find more of it. We, we find out that we're more blessed than we realize we find out that we've got way more things going on in our life to be thankful for than we realized. Colossians 4 verse 2 says it like this, Stay alert with your eyes wide open in gratitude. And so gratitude, I think, just unlocks and opens doors in our life. And we begin to see the things that maybe we took for granted. That when we're grateful, it's hard to compare. When we're grateful, it's hard to complain. And so we rehearse, we rehearse what God has given us every day. Now, am I good at that? Some mornings, no. <laughs> I'm still working on that. Again, I'm like, I'm like sharing stuff with y'all that I'm still working on. I, I haven't mastered this. I tend to get up and see what's going wrong every day. That, that, that's what I tend to see. And I think that's how most of us are wired, right? But if we can get up and just be grateful, be thankful, we're going to see more in our life to be grateful for. Paul said it like this, 1 Thessalonians, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ. So that means give thanks for closed doors. Give thanks for closed doors. Because that closed door might lead to the next open door. That means give thanks for contracts that fall apart. Give thanks for people that walk out of your life. Yeah, because that person that walked out may leave the table open for the, the, the one that God wants to, wa wants to walk in your life. And I think the best advice I've ever been given on this one concept is that can you look at life like this? That life doesn't happen to me. Life happens for me. And no matter what I face in this life, and no matter how much pain I go through, no matter how much persecution I endure, because everybody in here is going to face something, if you can in your mind somehow say, you know what? God is going to get glory out of this. Somehow, someway, it feels like this is happening to me right now because I don't want this sickness and I don't want this diagnosis and I don't want to have to go through this and I don't want to have to go and sit down with this doctor every week. And it can feel like life's happening to you. But if you can switch that in your mind and say, no, 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 this is happening for me. That, that, that suffering is not a bad thing. That suffering is the soil where greatness grows. And then for a little while, we'll suffer for just a little bit, but if we're patient and we endure it, God's got something good on the other side. Like Job, Job said, you know, it was good that I was afflicted. At the end of the story, right, at the end of when, when he had lost everything and went through that trouble, and I know that that's not super encouraging, but I can promise you this, you're going to face some trouble. And so we stay, we rehearse, we rehearse, we rehearse what God has given us. Paul mastered this. In prison, y'all, chained up to another soldier. No freedom at all. He wrote some of the most powerful verses on gratitude. Whatever is pure, right? Whatever is lovely. Whatever is holy. Whatever is life-giving. Think on these things. Find something good. 
to start your day off in the morning. And you're probably not going to find it on your phone if it's news or social media. I'm just going to be on, I mean, I'm like, I'm on a full-blown attack against social media this morning, okay? All right, I'm, I'm laying it down for 21 days. And again, and again, I know a lot of people, some of y'all work on social media. I got people in marketing and things. There's a difference between getting on social media to work and getting on social media to scroll. And I think your life would be so much better if you laid it down for 21 days. I really do, especially if you're under 18 in here. Or you're in college, because I know you're spending more time on that, on your phone or social media, probably than anybody. And now they're connecting that with all kinds of, of bad effects. So I, wanna, I want you just to try it. Just try it. And I think what you're going to see is that you're going to have, you're going to begin to see more in your own life because you're not looking at other people's. You'll be able to rehearse what God has given you because you're not looking at what God has given everybody else. Come on, somebody. So the cure for comparison, rehearse what God has given you. The second thing is, is it feels like when I compare my life to someone else, it just shows the faults. It shows the cracks in the foundation. It's, it's, I've heard one person say that when we get on social media, we just tend to look at somebody else's highlight reel and compare it with our worst day. And so we begin to see the things in our life where we don't measure up. And we begin to see the things in our life that are weaknesses, that are, that are, that are imperfections. And I've felt that way, and I know you've felt that way. But I think the second key to this comparison trap, to get out of it and to keep moving forward with what God has for your life, is to remember, remember that God's strength is made perfect in our weaknesses. It's in our lacks. It's in our shortcomings. It's in what you don't have that typically God steps in and work, does his best work. That's the stories we love, y'all, right? We don't love the stories where the, where the, the, you know, the person that was born a, a gazillionaire and, and, and became a hero and, you know, and, and because he was a trust fund kid. And like, like, we don't like those stories. We like the stories where the person who had nothing going for them, who started out with nothing, who had really, who, you know, no way forward in their lives, somehow overcomes the obstacles and the weaknesses within themselves or the shortcomings within their life or whatever, and they overcome. That's the stories we love. Why do we love those stories? Because it's your story. It's in the weaknesses. It's, it's in our weakness, right, that Paul says, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 8. Paul is praying, Lord, I got this thorn in my flesh. It's keeping me from doing the work I need to do, he thought. It's keeping me from writing these books. He wrote a third of the New Testament. I mean, you would think that God would take care of Paul. And he prayed three times. There was this, we don't know what it was. Some theologians think that he maybe he had bad eyesight. Some theologians believe that maybe it had something to do with his health. We, nobody really knows what this thorn in his flesh was, but it was obvious to everybody. Everybody could see it, and they knew that he had this struggle in his life. And he said he prayed three times to God, and God wouldn't take it. And then this was the explanation that he gave. God wouldn't take it from me. He said, my grace is sufficient for you because my power is made perfect in your weakness. I don't know about you, but that makes that encourages me <laughs> that where you lack and where you fall short 
and the shortcomings in your life is exactly the area where most of the time God is going to do his best work. And there's no perfect people on this planet. There's no perfect people in the kingdom of God, right? There's no perfect people in the church. I think Martin Luther said, I'm just one beggar trying to tell another beggar where to find bread, right? We're, we're all just living day to day, listening to God's voice and listening for what he has for us. And, and so it's okay. It's okay if you don't measure up. It's okay if you don't feel like you have everything that you need. It's okay to struggle. It's okay to feel weak. It's okay to feel like, I don't know if I have what it takes. If we can read between the lines, if we could just kind of get the vibe that the people of God were feeling when they gave up for the second time, it had to be, I, I don't know if it's worth it anymore. Right? We're building, we're trying to get this temple built, and when I look back at what the temple used to be like, I don't think it's even worth it. Have you ever felt like that? I'm 10 years into this job, and I can't even get a personal day. Right? Come on. Yeah, I, right? I, I've been working here for, for whatever. Right? I've been building this house. I've been building this relationship, and it just feels like I'm not getting anything back. That's where they were. If you're there in any area of your life, I just, I just want to encourage you. Because sometimes God will allow us to get desperate. Desperation is not a bad thing. Desperation is a good thing. When we run out of options and we've sat down with the counselors and we sat down with the doctors and we, we don't know and we're, we're measuring kind of what we're doing and, it, and, and we're at the point where maybe it's time to just fold. And that's where they were. And they did. They quit two times. And then Haggai spoke to them again. I'm going to read this last little verse and then we're going to pray together. Verse 9, chapter 2 of Haggai. He says, The future glory of the temple that they were building currently, that they were comparing to the past, he said, The future glory of this temple will be greater than its past glory, says the Lord of heaven's armies. And in this place I will bring peace. Somebody say peace. In this place I will bring peace. The Lord of heaven's armies has spoken. And so Haggai, this is what he does, y'all. Then we're going to pray. I'm going to have the band come up so y'all think I'm closing. That was a joke. <laughs> come on up, brother. This is my first closing. We got three. No. He, 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 he turns their head. He says, you're looking behind you. They were looking at Solomon's temple. Comparing the, this past work to, their pre, to the present work they were doing. And God says, I want you to lift your eyes. I want you to look up because what you're building in the future, the work that you're doing right now, matters whether you see it or not. That's what he was saying. I know it doesn't look like much. <laughs> Maybe all you have right now is some ideas scribbled out on a sheet of paper. I don't know. Maybe it doesn't look like much on the outside. Haggai was saying, I want you to look up and I want you to look forward. He said, because the future glory that's coming is greater than anything that ever happened in Solomon's day. He said, what he was doing, he was saying, I want you to recognize, so last point, recognize the value 
that God has put inside of you. He says, I want you to recognize the value that God has placed in what you're doing. Because I went back and I looked it up, y'all. We're going to close right here. I went back and I looked up Zerubbabel's temple and then Solomon's temple. And so they rebuilt this temple. And Haggai, you know, we've got one more week in Haggai. There some a few more things that I think are important in this book for us as we start this year. But they finished the work. And if you look at Solomon's temple compared to the temple they built, it's really bad. No, no, seriously, like, like it, it doesn't compare at all. I mean, and I, I'm here I am like doing exactly what I'm telling everybody not to do. But Solomon's temple was amazing. Solomon's temple, I mean, he had all the wealth of the world. He had basically no, no limit on funds, no limit on resources. They were limited on funds. They were limited on resources. They were limited on people. And, and what they built compared to what Solomon built doesn't even really, they're not even in the same category. And so why does God say this in the verse 9? He says, the future glory of this temple is going to be greater than the past. And this is what I think it is. I think Haggai was talking about the temple they were building. I think he was talking about this temple right here. Even though it was 2,000 years ago that these people were being encouraged by this prophet named Haggai in his 70s, shows up and encourages the people of God. Here we are over 2,000 years ago still talking about it because I really believe the value and the glory that he's talking about was not the temple they were building this temple right here it was the coming glory it was your heart that's now the holy of holies it was your body that's now the temple of the holy spirit and they were building this temple that on the outside it was it was a physical expression of what god was going to do spiritually in each one of you that god is doing a work inside of you Simon Sinek, I think that he, he, he explains it the best in his book called the, the Infinite Game, is that every one of us in here, we're doing a work that's going to continue after we're gone. Like life is not zero sum. It's not about longevity. It's about legacy. And the work that you're doing now may not even be for you. The work that they were doing in this, in this Old Testament, that built, they were not building for just themselves. They were building for us. They were building for their children. They were building for what was to come. And, and the infinite game says this, that, that the, this game of life, whatever game it is that you play Monday through Friday, it, it started before you got here and it's going to keep on going when you leave. And so we have to think that way, y'all. And it may seem like we're building this temple and it's just a bunch of boards and there's no good to it at all. But I want to remind you that just maybe what you're building and maybe you're laying a hidden foundation that no one's going to see, there's another generation coming behind you that's going to build on it. And you may not see all the fruit of your labor. That legacy, that wisdom, that, that living for, living the infinite game is planting oak seeds and oak trees and knowing that you'll never enjoy the shade of them. It's just doing the right thing every day, doing what God's called you to do, whether you see big rewards for it or not, it's staying faithful where you are with what God has given you to do. And that's a win. You're here this morning, y'all, that's a win, right? You're alive this morning, that's a win. 
You got another chance to, to, to take another swing at what God has placed in your heart. There, you, you got another day for God to redeem maybe some of the pain in your past. That's a win. So don't get discouraged if it doesn't happen as fast as you thought. And don't get discouraged if it doesn't look like what you thought it would look like right now. Your life and where you are and what you're building and doing, that's okay. Because God has put treasure inside of you. And it's not about the physical building, it's about you. He's building you. The last verse I'm going to read, then we're going to pray. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We have this treasure in jars of clay. Why? So that this all-surpassing power will know that it's from God and not from us. There's treasure inside of you. So keep working. Be strong. Keep working. Be faithful. Show up. Just keep showing up. Even when you're discouraged. Even when you don't feel like it. Just keep going. You might be six inches from gold. Come on, somebody. Right, right. This might be the week. Tomorrow might be the day. Be faithful with what God has put in your heart. Don't give up. Why don't you just bow your heads. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we thank you so much that you've called us all to be strong. I thank you, Lord, that you haven't called us to muster this strength up on our own. You haven't called us to, to dig down within our own self and find this strength. He said, no, if, if we'll ask you, you'll clothe us with strength. So right now, if you're in this room, you just, you're just tired, you feel weak, you just feel like you've been fighting, you've been pushing, and you're ready to give up, just ask God for, for fresh strength this morning. Lord, give us fresh strength this morning. Strength to, to go another day. Strength to go another mile, Lord. Strength to keep building, to keep, to keep walking this life of faith when it would just be easier to give up. God, I pray for fresh strength in every person's life. Lord, we thank you that, that you have made our bodies the temple of the Holy Spirit. That by your sacrifice now, the Holy Spirit, he's not living in a building. He's living in hearts. And so, Lord, remind us of that. When we get up and we look in the mirror and we just see imperfections, or we see where we fall short, or we see the wrinkles are a little bit more showing that morning, or we see where things in our life aren't what we thought they would be, remind us of the treasure that's in every person. That's in you, that's in me. Remind us, Lord, every morning that your spirit is not only with us, he is inside of us. Remind us, Lord. We just thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said amen.